morning. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 139 with me. And we're going to continue our spiritual feast this morning. I can't top communion. It's all the courses and dessert rolled into one, but um, I think I can try and complement that dish with another one. Psalm 139 is a dish best served in the midst of great turmoil. And the world seems to be in a bit of turmoil these days. And there's always something else coming out so far this year to think about, worry about, debate, and consider. And just like we try to do on Wednesday nights and just like we try to do everywhere here, we want to think, think about how God would have us respond in times like this. And Psalm 139 is a psalm that David writes to the Lord, but I honestly think it's God writing it to his people. And so it's very simple. I probably won't say anything you haven't heard about or thought about before, but it is so powerful. And uh, there are four sections. Uh, Verses one through six is one section. Verses seven through 12 is the second section, 19 through 18, or sorry, 13 through 18, can't read it, is the third section. And after these three sections, David's left um, with a natural, well, two natural conclusions, really. So we're going to read through this a little bit. David's writing it from his perspective. What you should do is read it and listen to it from your perspective as if you were the one writing this. Because there are some really simple truths that David's going to point out to us. Again, it's not going to be revolutionary to you, not going to be anything you haven't heard before. But the way he applies these things about God is just so powerful and so personal that, um, that it is, again, this is a dish best eaten in the midst of great turmoil. To know what's, that Psalm 139 is absolutely true is to know that God is in control and that God is intimately concerned with you and what happens to you in this world. So hopefully we'll walk away taking great comfort and encouragement from this. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you daily. Lord, we pray that this morning as we look at your word that you would open our eyes and open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us today and remind us of the truths that we find in Psalm 139. In your name, amen. David starts out in his first section and he says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. Let me read that again. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. This first section is all about God's omniscience or his attribute, the thing that he does that is all knowing. See, nobody's surprised because you know that God's all knowing. When we think about God's omniscience, when we think about the fact that God is all knowing, we can't really understand that, right? We understand to a point what that means, but we can't comprehend how that looks, what's going on in the mind of God at all times, how that even works. I mean, we have our own problems and, 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 and that's enough for us, just what we can see. 
So God's omniscience, his all-knowingness is so big and immense and powerful that we might gloss over it. But what David does in verses one through six is he takes that immense characteristic of God that is so different than me and he makes it completely personal to my life. So God knows everything that's going on. And what that means for me and for you is that the Lord has searched and known you. Searched, we know that word means, right? When you search for something, you get that. Known you means he doesn't just know your name. Sometimes people know you by just your name or your social media profile or whatever, but they don't really know you. There's levels to knowing, right? God knows you at the most personal level. We're going to see how he knows that in a couple more sections, but just think about that for a minute. That God, who knows everything about this entire universe that's going on and everything that's beyond this created universe, knows you deeply and intimately. There's nothing he doesn't know about you. Uh, David even goes a little bit further and he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, if I were to sit down and rise up right now, everybody in this room would know that I did that. Anybody who could hear my voice would know that I did that, but there's a house right over there. If there's anybody in that house right over there, they'd have no idea. They don't know when I sit down or when I rise up. And if you're not with me, you don't know how many times I sit down and get up. You didn't know what I was doing before I got up here. You don't know what I'll be doing later, I don't think. But God knows at all times what we're doing at an intimate level. There's nothing that we can do that he doesn't know. Verse three, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So yeah, the physical things, but God also knows what you're going to say. He knows what you say and he knows what you're going to say. He knows what you want to say that maybe you don't say. And he knows uh, when you think after you've said something, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. He knows all that. He knows it now, what's going to happen, and he knew it from before you ever even had the ability to speak it. God knows you intimately. His knowledge, his all-knowingness is so vast, and yet it's so personal. Verse 5, you've hedged me behind and before you laid your hand upon me. And like we should say, David says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for, for, too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We should be in awe at the fact that, A, God knows everything about everything, but God knows everything about me. Always. It's, it's an amazing thought. Now, when I was studying uh, for this and uh, where I was thinking about going with it earlier on, um, some people were talking about, you know, this might be a scary thing because depending on your relationship with the Lord, um, you could either read this like a Jonah or you could read this like a David. And if, if Jonah was writing this, I think we know what he was getting at, right? The fact that he was trying to get away and he could not. And it is a scary thought that God who knows everything knew exactly where Jonah was at all times. But that's not the, I don't think that's the attitude that David's writing from. And I don't think it's the attitude we should have if we are his children and his faithful servants. Instead, we should take comfort and amazement in the fact that God knows everything about me at all times. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing in verse 7 through 12 is this. Where can I go? It ties, ties closely to his all-knowingness. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence in verse 7? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So this is God's omnipresence. The fact that he's everywhere at all times. There's no place God is not. And David, right off the bat, makes sure that we understand that when he says, okay, let's try and think of a couple places maybe God isn't. Uh, He's in heaven. Well, that makes sense. That's where we think God is, right? When we think of where God is, we think he's way up above us. But he's also in hell. Sheol, the place of death, down below, that place we are afraid to go that's below us, God is there. If God is omnipresent, if he's all places at all times, there can't be a place that he's not. So again, that's one of those, you're not surprised, but it's one of those things that is bigger than me. It is further away than me. I don't understand it. But then David, again, personalizes it for you so that you can take comfort in the fact that this truth is true. In verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So no matter where I go, heaven, hell, if I'm flying, if I'm in the ocean, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be a light about me. Verse 12, indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Listen, I can't go anywhere vertically. I can't go anywhere horizontally that God isn't, and that God doesn't know I'm already there. And I can't hide in any way from him. God can't play hide-and-go-seek, because he can't not see where you are. He can't not know where you are. And even we think that darkness is a comfort when we're trying to hide, right? Physically, spiritually, whatever. We think darkness and hiding and keeping things from people is a comfort, a a barrier. But, and darkness is powerful. If you've ever been in darkness where you can't see, that's scary. You know what that's like. You might have experienced that before, but listen, David's saying that there's no darkness in God's sight. Like, we might be in darkness at night, but God doesn't see darkness because he is light and his light is everywhere. So everything's bright as day in his eyes. Nothing is hidden from God and nothing I do and nothing I experience is hidden from God. Again, depending on your relationship or how you are seeing that, if you're a Jonah, that could worry you. But if you're a David, you should take comfort in in that fact. Uh, then he goes on in verse 19, or sorry, verse 13. I'm stuck on 19. 13 through 18. And this is the third thing about God. The third omni, if you will. The third all characteristic. Verse 13 says this. For you, there's so much going on in here. For you formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that, my, and that my soul knows very well. This is a picture of God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. We've seen his all-knowingness. We've seen his all-presentness. Uh, He's everywhere all the time. And now we're getting an idea of his all-powerfulness. So I think it's safe to say that as humans... 
and Jesus knew this well, right? That as humans, we think that um, to really show someone how powerful you are, there has to be a great show of force. There has to be a good example that you could crush anything that comes your way, that you are stronger than anything in your path, right? And the Lord, countless times in Psalms and all the scripture before and all the scripture afterwards, shows this world that he is more than capable of handling anything that might pose a problem. And that's big and powerful. And, and, and again, that's something that's so outside of us because even though we all have some sort of power to accomplish things, we know we're not all powerful. And so we really can't comprehend what that means. But again, for the third time, David personalizes this for you. It is, God is so powerful. He has the legions and armies of heaven at his beck and call, right? Jesus could have gotten off that cross in a second and had his enemies destroyed by the armies of heaven. There is not anything he couldn't handle. But how personal is it to think about the fact that God built you? Built you. Built you the way you are. Built you to be who he wanted you to be, how he wanted you to look, how he wanted you to function. I mean, just think of how humans work. I mean, what power to intricately put everything together. Think of how this universe works, right? Many people want to just chalk up life to evolution. But if you study the complexities, even a simple study of the complexities of life, I mean, I don't know when I think about that, that's such great power. And the fact that DNA works exactly how it works and it learns how to work exactly how it needs to learn how to work so that I can operate and function the way I need to and a tree can do what a tree needs to do and a blade of grass can do what a blade of grass needs to do. It is astounding and amazing. And if you're a Jonah, it should be really scary, but if you're David, it should just be this huge sigh of relief. God knows everything about me at all times. God knows where I am at all times. And God is in complete control of all things in a way that science could never fully explain, in a way that the smartest person on earth could never fully explain or comprehend or understand. And we know, here's why it's a great compliment to our first course this morning of communion. We know because of communion, because of what we just celebrated together, we know that God is good and he loves you. And so the God who's good and who loves you is the God who's everywhere at all times, knows everything about you at all times. And uh, it has built you personally and is in control of everything at all times. So take hope. Be encouraged. Understand that no matter what this world goes through, whatever you face, whether it has to do with anything going on this year or just life in general, God is for you. I mean, that's an amazing thought. If you are his child, he is for you. It's an amazing thought. Uh, we could go on in that section where he talks, you know, about how he's put everything in the human body together, how he's made everything about you exactly how he wants it to be, right? Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. God puts babies together. <laughs> He puts human lives together. He put all life together. But he puts babies together. 
Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. So when I wasn't even put together, God knew you. God loved you. God had a call for you. God had a purpose for you. God was pleased to create you before you were even a thought, when yet there were none of them. You, you fashioned my days when yet there were none of them. It's amazing. So then again, David does this thing he does a couple of times in verse 17. He just takes a step back and considers, really considers and thinks about this. And he can only say, verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You are so great and wonderful and beyond me and other than me. And yet you come down to my level to show me that you care. If I should count all the precious thoughts in God's, head, in God's mind, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And then he says this, when I awake, I'm still with you. Just so you know that when he says God is all-knowing, uh, everywhere at all times, and all-powerful, just so you know, he just adds that again. When I wake up, you know, that's true today, and it's true tomorrow. Every time I wake up, God's still with me. Every time you wake up, God's still with you. It wasn't just a one-day thing. It's always. It's forever. So then David draws two conclusions, two things that basically, if you just make this a prayer, you can just, you can just say these last two things. He says this in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. If you know the story of David, you know he experienced lots of personal turmoil in his life, lots of enemies and people trying to kill him, his father-in-law, one of them. Wasn't watching that time. Nice. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Just so you know. God's in control. So I can dodge a spear if it flies up here. But David experienced so much danger and fear for his life. And he was, uh, uh, he was a warrior. So he could have easily many times gone in and taken things into his own hand and try and won the victories for himself against his enemies. But he asks the Lord to take control of that. He asked God to be with him and to guide him. And he asked God to take care of the problems in his life. Sometimes David acted and sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad. But in, in this Psalm, David is just being as honest as he can. He's saying, Lord, I know you're in control of all things. I know you're everywhere. I know you see everything going on in my life and you are intimately concerned with what's happening to me. So Lord, please, will you take care of the enemies around me? Will you take care of the problems that are attacking me, that are hanging over me? Will you be with me in the midst of the turmoil? And that's something I think we should be praying for a lot right now. I mean, we do, right? Whenever we pray for God to just stop this, stop this virus, heal this land, heal people who are sick, heal the divisions that rise up over everything, we're asking God to take control of that now, that's all this stuff on the outside, and this is very important. The, the last two verses are really important to remember as well. David says, Lord, take care of everything attacking me on the outside. 
And then he says, Lord, take care of everything attacking me on the inside. Verse 22 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Oh, sorry, this is verse 23. <laughs> and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Deliver me from my sinful nature. Lord, I need to be holy like you are holy, right? I mean, the Lord says, I need my people to be holy like I'm holy. I need my people to not be in bondage to sin. And communion is the proof that we celebrate, that we know that we have the bondage of sin broken in our life, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to God. We are freed from the power of sin in our life. Not we're freed from the curse of sin that we have to deal with on this earth until the Lord rebuilds it, but we are free from the power of that sin. So we can go to the Lord and Lord say, say, Lord, please help me with my sin. Take my sin from me. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to serve you faithfully. I want to honor you when I come to worship and when I come to partake in communion, I don't want to have the uh, evil of sin and the weight of sin hanging over me. So Lord, forgive me. And we know again that God's just not hearing that and saying, I'll think about it. He's saying, I will Right? the communion tables, his pretty emphatic statement on, I will forgive sins. So after considering the fact that God is everywhere at all times, God knows everything about me everywhere at all times. And God is so concerned about me that he even took the time to personally build me and create me. I think we know, we, we can take, we can be assured of the fact that God can handle the enemies outside of us and God can handle the enemy of sin inside of us. And David's just drawing a natural conclusion, like I said, and he's simply saying, there's nothing higher than God. There's nothing more powerful than the Lord. There's nobody more intimately concerned about me than him. Shouldn't I go to him for my help and my salvation? Well, yes, David, you should. And we should too. So let's consider those things during this really interesting year so far. You know, there's plenty of other problems besides COVID and, and everything else that's going on that have been plaguing us for a long time. And there's certain to be more issues and, 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 and ramifications of the curse of sin to pop up in our lives that we're going to experience. But no matter what trouble comes, no matter what enemy comes, outside and inside, it's that same all-powerful, all-knowing, all, um, what's the other one? All everywhere, ever-present God. That one's hardest to say. It's that same God who is there for you, his child. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I can't say it any better than how David said it. So Father, I thank you for Psalm 139. I thank you for these massive truths that are so greater than me. Thank you for helping me to be able to understand and connect to them. Father, I thank you for giving your people the ability and the opportunity and the privilege to understand your character, even as limited as it is in this life. 
Father, I pray that we as a church would run to you first in the midst of great turmoil, in the midst of enemies without and in the midst of the enemy of sin within, Father, that we would all, first and foremost, consider your goodness, your love, and the fact that you are intimately concerned with our lives. It's too wonderful to think about, Lord, but thank you that it's true. Thank you for the blood of Christ that makes it absolutely true for each and every one of your children. We thank you and we love you in your name. Amen. All right, let's sing together. Maybe this isn't your need. I, I certainly hope it isn't our need, any, any, any one of us here this morning, into my heart, Lord Jesus, but we want the Lord to be inwardly acquainted with us in everything. We want to acknowledge that. But you may be thinking of a friend or a loved one, or you may be going back to work tomorrow, and you know someone who really, really should be able to sing this from the heart. Amen. But uh, let's sing it together, remind ourselves of how intimately acquainted God wants to be with us, and you can't get more intimate than the the heart, can you? No. Let's stand together and let's sing this together. If you don't know Christ, will you cry out to Him as we sing in your heart and respond? Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thanks so much for what you've given to us in your word today. Lord, we've got a lot to think about this week. Just keep our thoughts where they need to be. Remind us of your power and your presence and your, and your, um, and your wisdom and knowledge. And Father, we ask that as we deal with our anxieties, remind us that you're there to deal with them in a greater way than we can deal with them. And that you're there to deal with any wicked way that might be in us. Father, just cleanse our hearts from every sin. And we pray in your precious name that as we go out there this door today and we serve you this week, that we can do it with courage and we can do it with strength and we can do it with fortitude and we can do it with wisdom, compassion and grace and mercy. And we pray that your grace, your mercy... We'll rest and abide with us till we meet again in your precious name. Amen.